Great. Um, hi, I'm Katie. I'm an alcoholic. Um, wow, I didn't know I was going to share for so long. I'm nervous. I'm not going to be able to fill the whole time. Um, but I guess I can really like start at the very, very beginning. Um, I started drinking when I was 15. Um, it was like super casual with friends. They had um, rum, if I remember correctly. And uh, they were just like passing it around and I'd never really drank before. And they were like, do you want some? And I was like, sure, why not? Tried it, um, didn't really think much of it that time, but it kind of opened the door to drinking with my friends and doing that as a recreational activity. Um, the next time that I drank, I got very drunk. Um, I, we drank wild turkey. Um, I had a friend who for her, this is like probably not important, but there was a lot of alcohol in their house because her parent had owned um, a restaurant at one point. So it was really easy to take alcohol from there because there was a ton of it. They weren't really keeping tabs on it. Um, and she had chosen wild turkey. It's super high proof. I think just we were looking to see how far we could push our limits. Um, I We ate a bunch of rice before we drank. So we were drinking and uh, I assume in retrospect that the rice was absorbing some of it. Um, and I was like, well, I'm not getting drunk. I'm not getting drunk. And I remember then being outside with some other friends who hadn't been drinking and uh, just going from zero to a hundred as it hit me, like getting the spins, feeling crazy sick, like, oh, so this is what being drunk is. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and definitely like blacked out a little bit. I was sleeping over there. Um, but I would say it's like pretty prescient that my second time drinking, I blacked out. I think it kind of set the tone for a lot of my drinking, um, which for much of my life didn't seem um, that different to me, I, or so I thought um, from other people. Um, I definitely drank to get drunk a lot. Uh, I would binge on the weekends with my friends, um, play all kinds of different drinking games, just a way to like guzzle as much beer as you possibly could. Um, it, I wouldn't like drink during the week. It didn't seem like it was affecting my life, whatever I was like in high school. Um, went to college, drinking was a huge part of the scene in college, so again, like my drinking habits to me didn't seem like that off kilter from my peers. In retrospect, now that I look at it, like I was always the drunkest one. I was like consistently drinking to blackout. Like I didn't have a lot of other friends that were doing that, but nobody kind of raised an eyebrow. It just felt like it was kind of part of the culture. Um, I was like, lucky back then that I kind of didn't have any negative repercussions from drinking that heavily. Um, I guess lucky and unlucky, which is kind of a theme of a lot of this and that like, I didn't have a lot of repercussions, but I didn't have a lot of repercussions. So I kept drinking like that. Um, and I kept pushing my limits further and further. 
um, did a lot of like stupid, embarrassing things. I brought this up in the other meeting and people seem to relate to it. So I will tell the story again. Um, I went to Mexico with some friends and um, I was talking about how there was a picture that came up recently, like in a memory album on Facebook. They were like, your memories. Um, and, and one of the pictures, I'm like hugging this giant um, Corona bottle, like an inflatable Corona bottle that was on the side of the road. And it like really was jarring to me because it kind of made me realize like how much of my personality I revolved around me loving to drink, you know, like I'm hugging this bottle and like, ha ha ha, isn't that funny? She loves to drink. Um, anyway, and that also was a trip where I got heinously drunk uh, the first night. I didn't know a lot of the people on the trip um, and I defecated on the shared space floor, um, not in front of anyone, but it was clearly me. And that kind of was very embarrassing and set the tone um, for the whole trip. So it's like something that I look back on. I'm like, I don't know if everyone else like remembers that, but like for me, that's that's like the defining moment of that trip for me. Um, I also in college and high school dabbled in various drugs, um, different psychedelics. I did shrooms, I did LSD. Um, uh, so I don't know if that's pertinent, but I was just testing out a lot of different things. Um, anyway, so then after college, um, my drinking kind of calmed down for a little bit for a few years. Um, I would drink at night. I had roommates. We'd have wine together. We'd sometimes go out on the weekends go party, I guess, sort of similar to college. Um, and again, I didn't like think much of it, but in retrospect, I was definitely always getting um, the most drunk of my friends. I would, I was the friend who would go somewhere with people and get really drunk and then do something like walk home by myself like three miles you know like in LA where you're not walking places and on in weird whatever just like not really safe things um or just wander off I was the disappearing drunk friend um and again I'm very lucky that in all those times that I was really careless with my self and my well-being that nothing happened, um, to me or to anyone else. Um, but yeah, could have been bad. Um, and then after I moved out from my roommates around 2015, um, that was definitely when my drinking started catching up with me more. It became, I think, when I lived with my roommates, there had been suspicions for, for me internally that maybe my drinking wasn't normal. Maybe I liked it more than they did, wanted to do it more than they did, maybe got too drunk, you know, a few too many times. Um, 
but I didn't really want to change. And so I just kind of silenced that voice. Um, but then when I moved out from my roommates and I was living alone, it definitely changed the tone of my drinking and opened up a, a new world of drinking because I didn't have anyone there, any outside forces there kind of judging or watching or thinking about my drinking, um, which meant I could do it a lot more and a lot more frequently and um, at hours that most people wouldn't drink. Um, it kind of was a slow build um, starting off where it's like, okay, well, I live alone. Um, I used to think it was like, you know, a red flag um, if I were to like drink alone, but I lived alone. So what was I going to do if I wanted to have my typical glass of wine, glass or two of wine that I used to have with my roommates, I would have to have it alone. I lived alone. So yeah, I could go ahead and keep doing that. That's no biggie. And it'd be a glass to what's a third. Oh, I finished the whole bottle. Okay. Um, kind of went through a pattern of that. Um, started to gain weight um and which is like such a silly thing to be the thing that pushed it but I was like oh no I'm starting to gain weight because I'm drinking a bottle of wine every day that's like a lot of calories so I know I'll be really smart I'll switch to vodka that has fewer calories um so then it was, you know, oh, but I can do it in a way that's not, it's not a problem because I'll mix cocktails. I'll make something like fun and festive. And then it's not, you know, it's not a problem drinking them. Um, so then I was having, you know, two or three cocktails a night. Uh, then I slowly, you know, was, they were less cocktaily and more just vodka as time went on until it was just vodka and water, um, pretty much sparkling water or something. And then eventually just straight up like shots and stuff um, by myself. And this, of course, led to me having terrible hangovers pretty much 24 seven. Um, back in the day that I had talked about in college and stuff, I always like thought it was so cool that I could really like rally from my hangovers so well the next day. And I like remember one time uh, going out with a friend the day after some party, I was super hungover and like being like, yeah, I don't feel well. Like I'm just going to go and like throw up really quick. And then I'll be like, fine to eat this in and out burger. And she was like, that's what? <laughs> Uh, but like in my mind, I was like, no, no, it's fine. I'm just like gonna get this out of my system and then I can come right back. And then it was to eat a hamburger. Now it was like I could, you know, do that and keep drinking or um, or in this case, now in 2015, I would be hungover and I'd be like, all right, well, maybe a little hair of the dog. I'll, you know, have a a little something in the morning with tomato juice. So that's a breakfast, then it's breakfast or orange juice. And that's like totally fine. It's just, just so I don't feel so sick, you know? Um, 
And at first, of course, it was like everything in increments. It was just on the weekends that I might do that. And like, and everyone goes to brunch, everyone day drinks. It's no biggie. Um, and I do that and then have a little bit more and a little bit more. And then I'd be pretty plastered before noon. Um, so I stopped seeing a lot of my friends because I couldn't, it wasn't in any state to go anywhere. I didn't want people to come over. Um, so I wasn't doing stuff on the weekend except kind of drinking alone. Um, except for, well, and I was, um, I was dating my now husband, but we were dating at the time. So it was also a game of like dancing around when I would see him and how, you know, oh, I'm not going to see him on this day. So that's a day where I could day drink. Uh, oh, I'm going to see him on this day. So I have to like be good. Um, cause he's not really much of a drinker. And, uh, then it started bleeding into the week where, oh, I don't feel very good on Monday. Well, I, I can have like, you know, one shot's not really going to do anything before I go to work. It's no biggie. Um, and I, that grew to two shots to, um, being at work. My, my job involved, like not always being in the office or being kind of like secluded at the office. So then it was like, well, I'm, I'm bored. I don't really have a lot to do, whatever, all my excuses. Um, I guess I could have a little drink at work. It's no biggie. It's I'm, I'm functioning. It's fine. No one said anything. No one's done anything. Um, so then I was drinking during the day at work. Um, then pretty much just drinking like 24 seven. Um, and this is when definitely things were very clearly out of control for me. I, I did not have any control over my drinking. It was in charge. Um, and I was making really bad choices. Um, I was driving under the influence regularly. Um, again, I had like isolated myself from my friends. I, um, my family as well. I was, it's, it's like weird to talk about because it was really bad, but it also was like, I hit it. And I don't want to say I hit it well, cause I don't really think that that's necessarily true, but, um, I hit it enough that I was getting away with drinking a ton all the time, um, for that year that I lived by myself. Um, then, I got engaged um, and we moved in together and I was like, okay, now things really have to change because I can't keep going this way. Um, he'll notice and I should probably change. I want to change, but uh, obviously there was a part of me that also didn't want to change because I loved drinking. Um, and so for a while I was able to kind of dial it back a little bit. Um, but what ultimately happened was because my partner didn't really drink, um, I would just end up drinking, hiding it from him. Right. Um, whether it would be like for a while, you know, the again it wasn't as apparent to him because I guess I was hiding it well 
So we would still have um, alcohol in the house. Like, you know, we throw shindigs sometimes for our friends and things like that. I, I love throwing parties. Um, so we had like a little bar in the house and a little, you know, and there it was fine. I would drink wine and stuff. Um, but in addition to that glass of wine I had that he knew about, I'd also like take a swig from one of our bottles that was in the bar. Um, and I think he started to catch on pretty quick that I was a lot more drunk uh, frequently than I should have been for just having a glass of wine or something. Um, and that caused a lot of turmoil. Um, we, you know, a lot of like, oh, I can change or it's not that bad or you're just sensitive because you don't really drink. So you don't really understand. And it's not really like that. And, you know, I've never been like fired for this or I've never had any whatever, like you're it's blaming him. Um, and if you can believe it through all of this, we still got married. Um, and I think it just like didn't peak during that time. Um, it still seemed like there were still moments where I had it appeared like some sort of control over it or it didn't seem as bad maybe as it I knew it was behind the scenes of all of it. Um, I think I still thought I could hand, manage it on my own at that point and that I would eventually just snap out of it or stop doing it. And it was just a phase and whatever, just, just a two-year phase. Um, and I didn't. Um, I ended up getting a job that I work in entertainment. So you kind of switch jobs a lot, which is also probably partially why um, I wasn't really at a place long enough for it to, for the ramifications to, I don't know, for people to, to notice. Um, but I, without a job, I was very unhappy at, and I don't know, maybe that's just an excuse, but um, it all started compounding. I was pretty depressed. Um, and I think I was always a little bit predisposed to depression. Um, I used to self-harm. Um, and I think that that like played a small role in just trying to like self-medicate a little bit. Um, cause I guess drinking is like kind of a form of self-harm. Um, and I, uh, so at this point, I was really, truly drinking 24-7. Um, it had really come to a head with my husband um, where I was making all kinds of promises. I promised I'm going to stop, I'm going to change, and I would maybe last a day, too, um, and I'd be back to doing it, you know, in secret. I would drink alone in my car um, anywhere to like that so that he wouldn't catch me, um, again, drinking at work, hiding, had hidden alcohol at work and water bottles or all different things. Um, and I would, you know, make promises to change and then would try to just quit cold Turkey, um, which at this point I was drinking like I, I always forget what the exact terms are for the sizes, but I think a fifth is like 
750 milliliters or something. I was drinking like a huge amount of vodka um, almost every day. And so when I would do these like binging on it, being drunk all the time, and then try and stop cold turkey, um, you're not supposed to do that. And so I ended up having um, a few major health scares. Um, I had three seizures. One of them was at work um, from withdrawal. Um, I remember uh, just like not feeling well. I was at work at this point. It happens. The thing that's weird about them is like, so I hadn't drank for like three days at that point. You kind of like think you're in the clear, you're like doing good. Right. Um, but that's when you'll have a seizure. Um, and so I was at work, I was talking to someone, I all of a sudden felt like super faint, like I was going to pass out. And they were like, yeah, you looked weird. You said, I think I'm gonna, and then you just fell on the ground. I started seizing. Um, luckily, one of my coworkers had worked at a rehab. Um, and so he, knew that I was having a seizure and he'd actually like dealt with this before. So he knew what to do and they called paramedics. Um, I woke up on the office floor with most of the office around me and paramedics. Um, and it was super scary and weird. Um, and then I had another one when I went camping. Um, again, none of these health scares uh, were enough to stop me from drinking. Um, I ultimately would always, maybe I would stop for like a week or two and then be like, oh, it's probably okay for me to drink a little bit and pretty quickly spiral back to drinking the same amount that I had been, um, hence having more seizures. Um, I think the last one was pretty close to my bottom. Um, it was like at night, at home. Um, and my husband was just like, I woke up, I had bit my tongue really bad. I was bleeding. Uh, and he was like, he had a seizure and just rolled over and went back to bed. And I was like, wow, he's really done with this. I think I've like pushed him to the breaking point fair. I can't believe it wasn't sooner to be honest. Um, so around then, I started being like, I, I can't deal with this on my own. Um, he also was encouraging me that I should maybe look into joining AA. Um, I was really resistant to it. Um, I think partially because I didn't wanna stop drinking. Um, so I didn't want other people involved with it because I was gonna go to these meetings and then I was, going to have people who are going to care about me not drinking. And I was not about that. Um, but I also had a lot of like shame, preconceived notions of like what AA was going to be like and, uh, you know, what being an alcoholic was. And I was like, that's not me. That's not me. Um, I'm too young to be an alcoholic, uh, whatever my like crazy thought process was. And, um, I did eventually agree to go to a meeting um, sort of begrudgingly just to appease my husband. Um, 
I cried the whole time at my first meeting. I really was like, it, it was in this like very, I don't know, like sterile room. There was just, it felt very like heavy. Um, looking back, I don't think it was actually that heavy. I think it was really nice. They actually had like decorations and all these things, but I was like, but it, for me, it felt very heavy. Um, and like, it felt like it was just this mark that was now going to follow me forever and whatever, it, which at the time felt like a bad thing. Um, and I went to a few meetings and then kind of went through a cycle for a year of going to some meetings, getting sober for long enough that I thought maybe my husband had forgiven me and then drinking again, relapsing, um, feeling like, okay, I did enough. I've paid my dues. Um, I wasn't very committed. I didn't talk to people. I stayed at the back. I never shared. I tried to go to meetings that were really big so I could just fade away into them. No one would know me. Um, and really had the mindset of sometimes I think part of me like wanted to, I wanted to be able to drink normally right? But that wasn't possible. Um, so part of me went with some hope of some sort of change. But I think a lot of me went just being like, this is penance that I have to do. Uh, and I, there was just a lot of shame for me surrounding it. Um, anyway, so I like went to these meetings, wasn't super committed. And then um, I just had like a really like it's hard to to say why February 20 2020 is my sober date I don't know what changed that that year for me because it was before the pandemic uh right before though um and I think I uh no wait I do know what changed I turned 30 and I was like I'm gonna die like I just can't keep doing this I was really lucky like that. Yeah. I'd had those health scares, but overall I, um, hadn't had any permanent damage. I'd, I had never gotten in an accident despite being incredibly reckless with my driving. I had never hurt another person. Um, I did, I did back into a parked car at work. So like I did damage some property and I had messed up my car um, but no people were injured. Like it's incredibly uh, lucky. I'm very grateful that that never happened. Um, the flip side of that is then I never had like a big blowout thing. So I kept, I felt invincible and I just kept doing what I was doing. Right. Anyway. So, um, but I was just, I think that the term that comes up in meetings all the time is I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Um, I felt like shit all the time. I felt bad about myself. I was super depressed. I was drinking. Um, oh yeah, this is what I was saying earlier. I was like drink. So I was drinking to self-medicate, but alcohol is a depressant. So I was depressed and I was trying to fix it with something that was making me more depressed. Um, I, my body was sick my mind was sick. I just didn't feel like myself at all anymore. I really felt so out of control. Like I just couldn't stop. I didn't know what to do. So 
it was the first time I started going to rooms with kind of an honest um, to try, like really to try. Um, there had been bits of that in the year before, but 2020 was the year where I really tried. I still had some like relapsy, not really being able to get through it in the first couple months. Um, but then towards the end of February, I went to a meeting. Um, they, it was still in person at the time. Um, I also felt pretty uncomfortable with a lot of God talk. Um, so I got really lucky that I found a women's agnostic meeting. Um, and I went to that meeting and there I walk into the room in a church, uh, very classic. And there's like four people there. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is too much. I need, I need to leave right now. <laughs> like the, I, I, but of course there's only four people there. They saw me walk in. I was like, I can't leave. I'm going to have to stay for this meeting. This is the first time where like, you know, I hadn't, uh, I wasn't one of like a minimum 30, you know, like I went to meetings where sometimes there were like a hundred people, I feel like, like in parks and stuff. Um, and I was going to have to speak. Um, and I'd only spoken like one time at one other meeting. And it was only because someone had like really pushed me to go up and take a chip. And I was like, I was so mad at that person for making me go up and do it. I didn't want to like, you know, that was then anyway. So this was the first time where I was like, oh, I'm really in it. Um, I guess actually I got this a little mixed up. This was still in like 2019, the first time that I went to this meeting and it was like that. Um, but then of when I like finally was like, okay, I'm really sick and tired. I can't do this anymore. Um, I remembered that meeting and I remembered how lovely everyone had been at that meeting and how it had kind of a different vibe for me. Um, and that it was actually really nice to get to share, um, and hear everyone shares theirs around Robin. So hear other people share, um, it was the first time I kind of felt a sense of community I related, I guess. Um, and so I was like, all right, I guess I'll go back to that meeting. I'm really going to try this time. Um, and so I went back and I bought a copy of the big book. Um, I got a sponsor from that meeting. Um, I started going to a few other meetings during the week. Then the pandemic happened, which actually I think for me ended up being a little bit of a blessing. Um, not, uh, I, it's, that's like a weird thing to say because obviously it was a horrible traumatic thing for the entire world. But um, in terms of my sobriety, it gave me a lot of time to reflect um, I didn't feel pressure to have to, at that point I wasn't working. So I didn't feel pressure to run right back to work. Um, and that I could focus on getting sober as my work um, because I, I felt a little more comfort in going to Zoom meetings. Um, obviously that was something I dealt with before, feeling reluctant to go to meetings and feeling uncomfortable unless they were really big and stuff. So. I found Zoom as like kind of a safe space to do that. There were also like 
in LA, it's so hard because everything's so spread out, but like you can find a meeting anytime, anywhere, all over the world when um, on Zoom. And that was just really helpful to me. Um, and yeah, so then this was the time I'm, I don't know exactly why, but this is the time it stuck. Um, actually, I think probably I do know a little bit why. I think getting a sponsor was a big part of that. Um, finding someone that I really trusted who was very patient with me um, and who I related to a lot um, and helped kind of guide me. That was really helpful. And then finding, um, committing to really going to the meeting, that one agnostic meeting that I felt very tied to committing to going every week um that just com making commitments and like finally really like involving other people and being more vulnerable and open um I think that was a big game changer um yeah and so I that's it's like I wish I had more to offer um but that was kind of it I just started taking it one day at a time it was really 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 hard in the beginning um obviously there were a lot of false starts um but even this time there was not kind of a guarantee that it was definitely going to be like I didn't know it was definitely going to be the time that it stuck like there were so many times where I thought like maybe this will be the time um and it didn't but um yeah, I, sorry, I've lost my train of thought a little bit, but um, I sometimes feel like a little guilty um, as I, this is only my second time ever speaking. Um, I'm not necessarily like, I think a good example. I don't always feel like I have a ton to offer because um, I never actually completed the steps. Um, I really procrastinated with my sponsor on doing my step four. Um, and yeah, so I, I like, I don't feel like I can speak to the whole program. And I think that is maybe a disservice. Um, I think the one thing I have to offer with that is that I did as much as I could and I kept doing and I keep doing as much as I can for as long as I can each day and it has kept me sober. Um, so even if you're doing this whole process imperfectly, um, it doesn't mean that it can't still work. Um, and yeah, um, gosh, okay, good. I don't have too much more time um because I'm pretty close to the end but yeah I um I've been so yeah in the beginning when I was getting sober it was really hard um I use this metaphor um in other meetings it's a it's for grief but um I found it relatable for drinking that like when I first stopped drinking it's like there's a box with a ball in it and there's a button in the box. And every time the button is pressed um, in the original metaphor, it's that you would grieve um, 
your loved one, but in this case, you would want to drink, right? And in the beginning, the box is really small and the ball is really big and any little jostle, any little thing would make the ball hit that button. And I just felt like I was constantly feeling like I want to drink. Oh my gosh. All I'm thinking about is drinking. All I'm thinking about is that I want to do that. How am I possibly going to make it through this day? Um, and over time, um, now I'm three years sober. Um, the box gets bigger, the ball gets smaller and the button still gets pressed sometimes. Um, and you don't always know why or when, or what's going to like be the thing that jostles it. And all of a sudden I'm like, wow, I like really want to drink. Um, when it gets hit, it's just as strong The like desire. I feel a lot of the same things that I've always felt. Um, but it doesn't happen as frequently and it makes it easier to go, you know, days, weeks, sometimes months now at a time where the button doesn't really get pressed. They don't really think about it. It's not a thing um, again, but when it gets pressed, it feels just as much. So it's important or it has been for me to like still have communities I can turn to and um, friends or, or a sponsor or meetings, like all of that, that um, you can turn to when that happens. Um, but for me, it, it did get easier over time. Um, I also noticed recently, just a side anecdotal thing, like early on in getting sober, I would have dreams all the time that I had drank, right? That I had like relapsed and had a drank something, whether it was like I fully binged or I like accidentally had like a sip of wine or something. And it was like horrible. And I would wake up and I would be like so upset. And then it would be a dream. Um, but now it's been not so long, but long enough that my dreams have started to shift even. Um, I've like now been through, so there were, I was kind of last year put through like a gauntlet of triggering things where like a bunch of friends got married. I had to go to all these weddings. There's all these open bars. I was going to all these bachelorettes, like all these events where, where the event is drinking. Right. Um, and I kind of, I was just really honest with all my friends. Like I'm sober. I'm not drinking. That was a huge radical honesty with everyone about what was happening is important. Cause then I couldn't go and drink. Everyone knew I don't, I don't drink, you know? Um, but I got through all of those things. I learned that like, I could still have fun at a wedding. Even if I wasn't drinking, I could still have fun at these bachelorettes. I could still have fun doing all these things that I like to do, uh, go out to a nice restaurant or all different things, whatever, um, that I used to think were just vehicles basically for me to drink at. I now was able to enjoy separate from drinking um and like dance and I don't have to be drunk to dance I don't have to you know be drunk to socialize with people uh, it's just as fun um although old me would like have been like no it's not but like it is and it's nice because you don't feel like crap the next day and you remember all of it and you like genuinely can have great conversations and yeah I don't know so it's nice and it's um but the point is, so I went through like a gauntlet of doing a lot of things that could have been, you know, 
triggering or could have happened. And I think I got really good at being able to say no in all different ways, uh, different comfort levels of saying no, whether it's, you know, someone that I trust more that I feel comfortable saying, you know, I'm sober, so I don't drink, or it's a stranger that I don't feel like I need to tell my whole story to. And I can say, oh, you know, I had some health stuff, so I, I don't drink. Um, I found all my, all my avenues so that I could feel comfortable being a person in a public space that doesn't drink, which seems like it should be easy, but sometimes in our society is not so easy. And now I have dreams and in my dreams, things will happen. Like there'll be a champagne toast or, you know, something where everyone's going to have a drink and someone will be like, oh, here's your drink. And even in my dreams now, I'll be like, oh, I don't drink. <laughs> um, so like even the, my, my, my brain has changed in that way. Although then I got asked to speak at these two meetings and I started having the dreams I drank again and that I was like, oh no, I blew it right before I was going to speak. <laughs> um, but yeah. And so, yeah. And then in the last year, um, I got pregnant and I now have a six month old son. So things have been really good. Um, I obviously wouldn't have been able to do that before. Um, and that was the first time that I also stopped smoking, which had been something that I had done frequently. I never felt like I had a, a problem with it in the same way, but um, I got like fully sober when I was pregnant and now I, I don't do anything. Uh, I guess I have caffeine. Um, but yeah, and so that's been cool and different for me and something I kind of like didn't really plan, but it happened, or the baby was a plan, <laughs> but like not smoking was like not a thing I'd really thought about, but um, yeah, and now, um, why did I bring up the baby? Oh, I know. I was going to say, it's so interesting. One just side anecdotal thing that's interesting in getting pregnant and having a baby is that there's like, so I thought it would be, it's such a like built-in excuse. Like then I really didn't have to tell anyone anything. Like it's obvious that you're not drinking if you're pregnant. Right. Um, but there's so much, I feel like in society that pushes people to drink that like, even when you're pregnant, even when you have a baby, there's so much pressure of like, well, you know, you could still have a glass of wine if you want. It's no big deal. Like, uh, you know, one glass of wine, actually studies show that that can be completely fine, even good for your fetus. Um, and, you know, once you're breastfeeding, you can pump and dump and you can do this. There's like all these things that are built in to really try and push people back into drinking or allow it or make it not stigmatized and like, you know, no judgment for how other people choose to do it. But it was so interesting to me because I really thought it wouldn't be that way. And I got like, you know, from someone who didn't know me super well, they gave me these little strips that you can use to like test your breast milk to see if there's alcohol in them, uh, you know, so that you know whether you can keep it to give to your baby or you have to dump it. And I was like, it's wild, all of the hoops that are being jumped through to try and invite alcohol back in to your life after you have a kid. And just the like mommy wine culture and stuff is like very prevalent. So I thought it would be this like big change, but it turns out it's just like 
a different version of, you know, like you go from college where social drinking is like super normal. And then you post-college, you know, brunching is super normal. And so you day drink doing that or whatever. There's just all different ways that it's kind of insidiously can slip in to any, any version of the life that you're living. So, um, yeah. I guess that's pretty much it. I feel like I've kind of come to the end. I hope that, um, thank you guys so much for listening and letting me share my story. Um, I hope that it was helpful and um, I really appreciate all of you. Thank you so much. (laughs) 